Hi everyone, this is Holly Herndon. I'm Matt Dryhurst. And you're listening to Interdependence. Welcome to the Interdependence Podcast, where we host conversations with some of the people we think are shaping 21st century culture. You're listening to the free version of this podcast. If you would like to hear the full version and support this series, please visit patreon.com interdependence. This podcast is ad-free and only possible through patron support. Thank you. Ring, ring, ring. Hi. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Pretty How are you doing? Good, good. Um... Yeah, I guess I'll I'll jump right into introducing myself. <laughs> yeah, you should do for the, for those listening. We forgot to press record on the first ten minutes, so we're <laughs> so Sarah. This is scripted. Sarah knows exactly what to do. Yes, please introduce yourself. <laughs> Gladly. Um, so yeah, my name is Sarah Friend. I'm an artist and software engineer um, living in Berlin. Um, I first met Matt and Holly through um, the crypto art community uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and I am one of two developers on a project called Circles UBI, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, it launched about two weeks ago and accidentally became a bit of a meme. Yeah, you're quite the talk of the town. <laughs> um, oh my god! Yes. <laughs> and we're we're going to get into some of those. Uh, yeah, so some of uh, how interesting your your past couple of weeks have been. But I guess like. To start out, would you mind giving a high-level overview of what Circles UBI, for those who maybe are not familiar, I'm guessing that's an allusion to universal basic income. Uh, yeah, what Circles is. Please. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So like you say, um, the UBI stands for universal basic income. Um, but uh, it's maybe not actually the best description of what Circles is. Um, we, you know, it, the, the term gives a lot of attention to the project, but it also can be confusing. Um, Circles has more in common with um, alternative currencies and community currencies. So mm-hmm. things like Ithaca dollars or the Brixton pound um, than it does with um, what we might think of typically as UBI, which is the government redistributing fiat. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, so uh, as you alluded to earlier, maybe you call it like an anarchist UBI. It's like <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, like, like a, 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 UBI, a UBI done on like a voluntary kind of uh, basis outside of the the halls of state. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. I mean, you know, in in government UBI that that redistributes money, um, we sort of identify ourselves to the government and with our state ID. Um, those things are difficult to get in some ways, but in circles, we identify ourselves with a social graph of people who trust us, um, something which is also maybe difficult to get and can also uh, identify an individual. So yeah, there's a, it's, it's trying to decentralize some of those things. So I've heard you mention uh, in the past that this uh, your system is kind of anti-wealth hoarding, which I find really interesting because we've had um, Glenn Vile on the podcast in the past, and he writes about this a lot with in his Radical Markets and the Radical Exchange Program. So can you explain how the mechanism of your project kind of uh, works against this um, human, uh, this human um, desire to hoard? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so... 
Everyone who signs up for Circles um, gets a token that is kind of attached to their identity. Um, and that token is minted to them as a function of time. Um, but the rate at which it's minted is also inflating. Um, it inflates about once, once a year and the inflation is compounding. Um, mm. So we say that this like disincentivizes hoarding because at some point the tokens you received sort of early on when you first signed up for the system are dwarfed by the amount of tokens that everyone is receiving every day later on in the system. Um, it means that the, the relative difference between the uh, token holdings of someone who got in early versus someone who got in late uh, goes down the longer they both stay in the system. Yeah, so and, and that's kind of refreshing in a sense um, because that position circles, I would say, is like very, very different to what most people are familiar with in the cryptocurrency space, which is, so for example, Bitcoin, one of the features of Bitcoin um, is this idea of it being kind of anti-inflationary. And on top of that, you know, so many people are used to seeing um, cryptocurrencies as these kind of, you know, limited, scarce um, uh, tokens that you want to try and accumulate uh, as, as quickly as possible. And so circles would be, uh, is a very, very different approach. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like you say, kind of the opposite of what people normally think of um, when they think of airdrops and, and crypto distribution. Um, so that that has uh, caused us some problems in the last two weeks, I think. <laughs> I was about to say, so this is a great segue because obviously I can only imagine that the the scramble toward um, getting your uh, uh, getting your circles that has occurred over the past two weeks wasn't helped by the assumption that many people might have had that getting in really early gave them would give them some kind of an advantage um, uh, within the circles network. But that appears to um, not be true, other than for the fact that it's probably given you a great deal of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, it's been just. Crazy. So much more than any of us expected. Um, I've had people looking me up on all of my personal social media accounts, sending me requests to trust them. Um, and for people who might not know, you, you have to be trusted by three people in order to use, at least to use the graphical uh, interface to interact with circles. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, um, within six or seven hours of launch, our servers were down. Um, so many people had tried to um, load the site, um, which is, of course, not we were, what we were expecting at all. And um, though it's, it's, it's really exciting that there's interest in the project, it's also there's something a little bit uh, sad in some ways about mm -hmm. going viral for the wrong reasons um, yep. or, or, or also scrambling around the clock to get your service back up just to appease a bunch of people who don't really understand it. Yes, I can, I can only imagine... Um... Well, can you tell us a little bit um, why the the specific three? Um, you know, why was that the the magic number for trust, and what the role of trust plays in the system? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so three is is really kind of arbitrary, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. We have a there's a very similar project that we are um, have a good relationship to. We've gone to visit them a couple times in France called Duneter, mm -hmm. um, and they use five. Um, mm -hmm. We thought that was really difficult. We were like, uh, some amount is good. It can't be too easy. Um, but let's make it a little, a little less in circles. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the reason that you need these trust connections is um, everyone has, has kind of their own token. 
Um, but those tokens are exchanged along these paths of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you sign up for circles, but no one trusts you, your, your token is basically worthless. It's completely non-fungible. You can't spend it with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in order for a new user to have a good experience, they need to be connected to the trust graph. So it makes sense to have some. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, um, I, I can't cite any like really great examples or name any papers, but there's research done about how it's actually quite hard to maintain yourself in a social graph um, and not get caught if you are, are trying to be connected um, with two accounts. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so maybe you can get one or two, but you know there's a threshold beyond which it's actually very hard to do. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a civil protection. That said, we only enforce it in the interface. So if you are a developer and you want to interact with the contracts directly, or even just a crypto user who, who wants to um, you know, use circles without um, the, the full-featured uh, uh, experience, um, you can definitely still sign up. And to be honest, there are pools of spam accounts now um, that have been made, again, all, probably by people who don't really understand that they can't use them. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so, yeah, it's kind of just, we make you sign up for your own, for your own good really. And also because we are relaying transactions. Um, mm-hmm, so we're mm-hmm. paying everyone's transaction fees, which mm-hmm. are very, very affordable because we're running on a network called XDAI. Um, mm-hmm. but it's still, you know, uh, a little bit of a barrier so that someone can't just sit and click over and over and totally drain our accounts. That makes sense. So. Just to walk people through who are maybe like completely coming new to this, I'll explain my experience with circles, right? So don't 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 explain all the times it didn't work. Oh no. <laughs> I was about to gracefully omit all the times it didn't work, actually. <laughs> um I have noticed it got really fast, uh, or way faster, by the way. So so credit to you for um for that. But uh uh Thanks. So you set up an account um, and at which point in order to verify that I am who I say I am, three people who trust me, um, who have already been verified by three other people in the circles network, um, verify that I am who I say I am, at which point um, my personal token starts being minted by the circles uh, smart contract, right? So mm-hmm. at that point, once I'm verified by three people, I then personally have the ability to verify three more, right? And so ultimately then you're building what um, I am guess maybe you refer to or, or someone will refer to as kind of a web of trust, right? Exactly. Um, which is really neat actually because it solves kind of a lot of problems. Um, and, and I almost wonder what else could be built on top of that infrastructure, Um of just simply saying that in the kind of pseudonymous kind of landscape of, of crypto as it has been up until up until this point, um, the ability to, to know that you're actually paying the person who you think you're paying is kind of really cool. And I think it's quite an elegant way to build that system out. Yeah, thanks. Um, that is a great description. Um, and, um, and yeah, I use the terms interchangeably and I've been working on circles for a long time. So I kind of sometimes forget, but when I say social graph, I mean the same thing as web of trust. And, um, it's a primitive that's been around for a long time. Um, first from, I think the PGP community, um, Mm. quite some time ago, uh, as a way to sort of decentralize verifying identity. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can do a lot of things with that. It's a very useful primitive. You can imagine things being sort of built on top of it once it's in place. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 
for example, um, content moderation schemes for mm -hmm. decentralized content moderation or recommendation algorithms often use something like this. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's a, a precedent also maybe in, in internally in in BitTorrent clients, uh, sort of node reputation, very similar mm -hmm. process actually, calculating that, that you might imagine calculating uh, recommendations inside circles. Mm -hmm. um, so, so there's a lot you can do with it once you have it in place. Um, we've gotten some comments from people kind of already thinking about what they might build on top of it. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So that's that's definitely an exciting aspect. Yeah, it seems really cool. I, I've, I've been following a lot of, for example, like uh, DNS services or, you know, the ability to like introduce, um, you know, namespace into the crypto sphere, right? So uh, rather than me asking someone to send you know, some payment or whatever to zero X seven four whatever hash, they could just send it to me, like my name in the network. Right. And it's like, it appears that, that you're building the rails for that, which is, which is really cool. Uh, not, not to say that you don't have enough on your plate trying to, uh, trying to facilitate a, <laughs> an anarchist UBI. <laughs> um, but it is, it is, it is really cool and it's really elegant. And yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of the, like, the 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 original kind of big C or little C, whichever way, way you want to put it, kind of key signing parties, right? Where you would uh, mm -hmm. go into a room and then with a bunch of friends and verify each other's uh, PGP keys. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's totally inheriting from those ideas. And now, in terms of DNS, um, um, specifically uh, uh, registering a name to an account. Um, like like the way you described, I send to Matt instead of to you. Um, we yep. manage all of the instead of to like a hex address that is yours rather. Um, we we do manage all of that off chain. One of our biggest concerns about circles, and I've received this criticism from some cryptographer friends who work more intimately in privacy, um, is that um, keeping user data off the blockchain. So yep. having the social graph on the blockchain right now, it's pseudonymous, but it's all public. So yep. all of those trust connections from the hex string that is yours to the hex string that is mine to the hex string that is Holly's um, are, are are visible and possibly de-anonymizable. So we made the choice to keep all actually personally identifiable things like the usernames people might pick and the photos private. Um, cool. so, so we yep. manage all of those and, and they're not accessible through anything but the Circles UI. It's funny, I can hear the little voice of our friend Leif. <laughs> everyone everyone has everyone has their cryptographer friend who's like well actually <laughs> I mean, you gotta listen to those people except absolutely i'm really glad that they care about it <laughs> totally. except sometimes your project is you know like a donation funded tiny little team that can't really hire a cryptographer um which yeah. is our case <laughs> well so you mentioned before um building on so specific communities being able to build on is that kind of the vision for circles or even how the software is structured so that people really are able to, I, I guess I still fully don't understand how people are supposed to use it or like what the kind of dream scenario is. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's a great question, really, because, you know, you have this, this whole technical system, which is the developer, like I'm immersed in, um, but it's sort of like not really the, the project at all. It's, you know, um, it's not really a community currency. There's no thriving economy that is created just because this technical system is, is implemented, right? Mm -hmm. The implementation is done and now the hard part starts. Um, and the hard part is 
uh, uh, convincing a community to exchange things of real value using this currency. Basically, mm-hmm. if we have an accounting system. We've built an accounting system and we're in search of things to account for. Yep. Yep. Um, now we have a team uh, in Berlin who has done a lot of outreach to local businesses, trying to get people onboarded. They've thought a lot about use cases um, and, and are putting those things into place here. Um, it's harder in other parts of the world because no one from our team is there. But since the launch, mm-hmm. you know, we've made a lot of contacts uh, contacts and we're, um, you know, communicating, trying to write tutorials about what's worked here. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, uh, there is a Schweti in Berlin where you can go spend your. <laughs> oh <service>. hell yeah! <laughs> How far away is it? <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna lie. I've been so trapped in my house writing code. I, I don't actually know. I think it's in Friedrichshain. It's called Moose. Cool. <laughs> um, and we also have a uh, a channel, uh, like a bizarre channel, which is uh, the lowest weight version of Kleinenzeigen that we could come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and cool. then again for people who don't know in Berlin is kind of like Craigslist. Um, mm-hmm. And we have plans to um, like flesh that out into a, like a website um, over the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so the idea is that, is that we can um, bring businesses in with, by like personally talking to them and, and, you know, onboarding them to the project and explaining it. And also that all of this value in communities that gets captured in places like Kleinenzeigen um, can also be captured in places like circles. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's a slow process. It's not quick. Um, so, you know, it's, it's again, uh, a bit the opposite of the, the airdrop where something gets distributed to all these people and then it goes up on an exchange two weeks later and we're rich. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, like, like it's, it's, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of infrastructure. It's like a tool, but, but actually it's, it's not really worth anything without community engagement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, how, so how does it compare to, uh, you mentioned earlier, I think, was it the Hackney, what's it called? The, There's like the Brixton Pound. Oh, the Brixton the Pound. Dollar, That's yeah. right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, can you tell us a little bit about some other um, examples that already exist and how this might Well, be? yeah, maybe like a bit of a, a primer in this idea of local currencies. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's, so there have been a ton of them. It's not really new. Um, and I'm not like a local currency expert, but I've learned a lot by, through my experience with circles. Um, and uh, I think Matt, you mentioned this in your in your notes. Um, Sardex is a, a yeah. very big one. Um, I think based in Italy, uh, tons of users, lots of value. Um, and I think they've focused on um, business to business as a um, sort of main target group and, and yeah, our community yeah. team has taken a lot of lessons from that and are sort of trying to think about what business supply chains they might pull into the circle system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's kind of an old, an old idea to, to run these. Um, and, and there are, and the reason I guess is, is we have all of this sort of value in communities and the more we can keep it within communities, the more these communities can um, thrive. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, um, you know, it's, it's, it's sometimes these, these, these currencies have very different mechanics to um, the fiat currencies that we're familiar with uh, as well. So mm-hmm. there's something to be said for ownership um, and there's something to be like community ownership of a system. And I think mm-hmm. there's also something to be said for, um, you know, uh, uh, Circles is not just an accounting system. It's an accounting system that, like we said, tries to 
discourage hoarding um, and tries to redistribute that value throughout, throughout the, the users. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something that we can't really, um, we're not really offered by the fiat system as we encounter it. And we're not mm-hmm. really empowered to change without starting something like community currency. Um, I see it as a bit of an experiment. It totally might not work. I think what I've said the whole time I've been involved with it is it seems like a good enough idea to try. Like someone should get this out so that it can be tried. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's also kind of nice in a sense too, because for exactly the reasons that we covered before, um, you know, you're really kind of sidestepping a lot of the stuff that turns people's stomachs about cryptocurrencies, right? Like the speculative components, um, the kind of uh, pump and dump kind of get rich quick schemes, right? Insider trading. Insider trading, the hoarding, the kind of, the hierarchies implicit to that, uh, to them, even though, you know, uh, uh, we should maybe talk a little bit about hierarchies later. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, speaking about Sardex, I was, I was doing like a little bit of a, a, a re, I was doing some revision of, of what I'd read about uh, Sardex in the past. So yeah, it's, it's a, um, it's based in Sardinia, Italy. I believe that they transact is something like $80 million worth of Sardex a year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's so successful to the extent that, as you said, um, a lot of it is business to business, but actually employees who live in Sardinia are given the option to receive a portion of their uh, salary in Sardex, right? And so mm-hmm. the basic idea for those who may be completely unfamiliar of this um, is, you know, I work at the bank, I get paid 10% of my salary in Zardex, um, I can then go to my bakery and uh, you know, pay my baker in Sardex, they presumably uh, are incentivized to receive Sardex because they get their flour from another business that's happy to receive Sardex, right? So over time, what you've described as kind of like a trust network, um, it's really like a trust network in physical space, right? You have all these different businesses who said, um, you know, we all accept this currency and are willing to pay each other in, in, in almost the kind of like this very classical primitive understanding of money is basically just being like an IOU. A barter right? system. It's like a, it's like a barter system. Um, <clears throat> and what's of course really nice about that too is because um, that currency is, is non-fungible, right? And for those, we're, we're maybe always jumping ahead to assume that anybody has a fucking clue what that means. Um, uh, non-fungible basically means that like, you know, uh, dollars are fungible, right? Like you can trade $1 for any other dollar in the world. You don't care about which dollar you get so long as you get a dollar back for the dollar that you gave, right? You, you aren't precious about these things. Now, when it comes to something like a Sardex, um, I'm not entirely sure if there is a secondary market where you can trade it for Lira or something like that. Um, but generally speaking, the idea is that if you have a non-fungible currency, it will remain the value of that of of all the transactions and all the services uh, 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 produced or whatever in that ecosystem stays within the ecosystem, right? It doesn't get leached out, mm-hmm. right? So you're incentivized. The baker is incentivized to work with the person who also takes Sardex. But let me ask a question. So why actually is the baker incentivized to use Sardex? Is it cheaper if you buy flour via Sardex than if you buy it via Lira? Like, I get that there's maybe a community will of like, yeah, we want to keep the money kind of circulating. But is there another kind of layer? And maybe maybe we don't need to discuss Sardex. But no, like, but it's, it's, it is uh, interesting. Like, well, what is the utility of it beyond the... And yeah. beyond that with circles, seeing as how it's deflating um, over time, um, 
how, yeah, what is the kind of... Inflating over time. But yeah. yeah, sorry, inflating <clears throat> over time. I think, yeah, maybe both are true depending on which part you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> the value is going down over time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what incentivizes one to use that above just a kind of regular fiat? I mean, in the case of circles, I can't speak to Sardex because I'm not, I'm not really an insider there and I don't know. Um, but in circles, I mean, you, you know, you're, why would you, you do really get it for free? Yep. 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 Um, so if you, if you can accept it or, or you use it, why not? Um, and why not accept it if you know that you can also spend it? We've thought a little bit about the sort of, um, pitch to businesses in particular, and there's some kind of strategies there, which are resemble marketing more than anything else. Um, but, okay. but are, you know, uh, kind of like a group on like strategy of like, if you accept circles, people will come, um, to your shop to spend their circles and they might buy other things. Um, you join a sort of, we, we do, um, promotion and marketing of the businesses mm -hmm. that accept circles. Um, definitely a lot more people know about Mooj Beti because of circles than otherwise. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, so there's kind of reasons like that. Um, and, and I think one of the things is why, why circles is deflating, um, or, or, or how that incentive, what that incentivizes. And I think the idea is that it incentivizes you to spend your money now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and so instead of, um, hanging on to it and having it be worth more, you want to use it immediately. And, and the more this happens, the more transactions, theoretically, of course, are all flowing around through all the people using circles. Um, mm -hmm. And the more money is being sent around between more people, the more we all actually sort of perceive wealth in a way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's been uh, uh, an example or sort of a case study. This, this is um, my, our, my colleague Julio likes to call this demurrage by other means or like decaying, mm -hmm. decaying currency. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, an example of this um, in Germany, I believe, um, in a place called Vorgel uh, during the Great Depression. They used mm -hmm. a, a an inflating uh, a deflationary currency. Oh, my God, I'm getting confused now, too. <laughs> <laughs> it is confusing. Um, every period of, you know, uh, one uh, uh, Vorgel currency from, you know, let's use totally made up numbers because I don't remember the real ones, um, is worth 50% uh, next week than it's worth this week. And that yeah. keeps happening. Mm -hmm. And actually, this town managed to build a lot of infrastructure and avoid many of the sort of problems that were plaguing neighboring towns um, during this time, which was a pretty rough one, the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it's like this idea that the more money is circulating, actually, the more we perceive wealth. Um, mm -hmm. It's not actually held wealth that that um, that is the critical factor. This is uh, uh, all a bit unproven, honestly, as far as I'm concerned. I actually think it's unproven too. Um, mm -hmm. my, my interest really is in is in like giving it um, a good chance. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it, it's kind of interesting too because it also makes me think of I forget. There's probably a, an actual term for this, but. Um, I remember when we lived in San Francisco, we had a friend, we, we have a friend still. I still think he's a great person. <laughs> I just haven't seen him in a really long time called Carl, who was working on, and I can't remember the name of the, the startup now, but the whole idea was basically <clears throat> to build um, structures for people to exchange things that, that aren't normally kind of valued by the economy, right? Like um, it, it's almost kind of like a favor bank, 
or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Like where the idea was that you could, for example, list all of the uh, appliances that you had in your house um, and within your neighborhood, you would be able to lease those out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, but doing so in a way that didn't require them to spend money up front or to have money up front. Rather, you just kind of banked that favor um, and then were able to spend that favor um, if you needed something, right? And there's all kinds of things one can think about in a sense once you build these kind of social graphs or networks of trust, particularly in a locality. It'll be interesting to talk about how this maybe scales to like immaterial existence outside of like material, but like within material existence, there's all kinds of examples of that. Like, okay, yeah, like I'll take the trash out or like, I'll take the dogs on a walk or I'll look after your kid for the afternoon. These things are actually very, very significant contributions to the well-being of people's lives. Um, uh, But there's not really, there's not really a way to account for them outside of like brutal, brutal commerce. And perhaps most importantly, because as you said, with circles, these things are just being given for free. Um, It also requires participating in such networks doesn't require seed capital, right? Like if you wanted to create such a barter network or a favor bank amongst a group of people and you're, uh, you know, like most people in COVID and are a bit strapped for cash, um, this is a way for you to to structure that systematically in a way that keeps everything fair or there's some kind of like arrangement between different people um, uh, uh, where, whereby those people under, kind of understand the rules, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that um, everything you're describing is are, are, are kind of this, the use cases we expect circles to hit first. Um, all of these sort of um, places in um, our communities where there is value that um, is currently not easily exchanged because there's no sort of unit that can account for it well. There's all kinds of things which are uh, done to sustain communities like like care um, that, that aren't well rewarded or, or compensated for um, mm-hmm. within the normal working world. Um, And I think there are actually community currencies and alternative currencies that are a great example of that. Um, So I'm thinking of Furei Kipu, which I might be mispronouncing. Mm. Um, But this was one that's based in Japan. Um, And I'm not sure it's still used, but it was very popular at one point. And it did have an exchange rate with yen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was an elder care uh, token. Wow, cool. So that is like I care for an elderly person um, in my locality. Um, and then I, I get it and I can spend it, um, and some, and on, on someone who will care, uh, an hour for my elderly relatives who don't live near me. Oh, wow. Very cool. Um, and that's and, interesting. And people have invented similar things for like babysitter rings and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so I think that the use cases like that are kind of a great one for circles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, and, you know, the reason Kleinenzeigen is actually kind of similar, right? It's these things that we might throw out, um, except that they're still kind of good. Yeah, <laughs> you of know, course. It's, 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 it's valuable, but it's not necessarily um, uh, well accounted for um, in yeah. the fiat markets we we see. Um, so I think, I think use cases like that are, are all, um, are are likely and maybe even the ones that circles is best suited for. I think it's, uh, I mean, we have actually fun fact had a landlord email us and say he wants to accept some portion of rent from his tenants in this. Wow. Uh, Cool. But I don't think that's going to be, um, 
quick, uh, certainly. Yeah, I think yeah. we're gonna, you know, it's going to take a long time before we see uh, costs like that um, moving into circles. Um, mm-hmm. Though I'm, I guess I'm optimistic. I wonder how governments view this kind of project. So, for example, in Germany, VAT is a really big portion of kind of um, – Yeah, state funding. Um, And right now it's been lowered a little bit because of COVID, but it's usually around 19% for every kind of transaction. However, things on Kleine Anzeige or Craigslist um, aren't required to charge VAT because they're secondary market Mm Purchases. So I wonder if you, if you all have thought about any kind of, I don't know, if you've talked to any policymakers or if there would be any kind of, um, yeah, political kind of agitation there. Yeah. Um, so we did consult with a German tax lawyer, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, and we have a, gu- a set of guidelines that we give to the businesses who accept it. Um, it's actually fairly standard for the way cryptocurrencies work. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, you have to pay taxes on it if you're collecting it above the threshold of income you have to declare. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you collect that, then you have to collect that. Um, mm-hmm. So, so you know, it, it does sort of fit into all of those um, rules. But I guess um, more broadly, I don't, I don't, I don't see the, that there's um, necessarily an adversarial relationship between um, circles and um, governments of countries that might use it. Um, that that said, um, you know, it's certainly possible that it might. It might happen in some country. I don't know if every country is friendly towards alternative currencies, though they have a pretty strong history in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bit it's a bit unknown. I think one of that's that's actually one of the nice things about using a decentralized infrastructure, though, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because it it would be quite difficult to stop it running. Um, yep. I, I'm from uh, Ontario originally, and um, it we had several basic income pilots uh, in Canada, but one fairly recently in Ontario that only ran for a little while, and then there was electoral change, um, and a politician came in who didn't like the pilot and shut it down early, um, and and so in in a way, um, though state basic income solutions can um, you know, offer a lot because they give you fiat, which is much more easy to translate your basic needs into. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also quite vulnerable um, in the sort of rapidly changing and polarized democracies that we have uh, in Europe and North America. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, they're also very conditional, right? Uh, uh, which is like, we, we had uh, Professor Guy standing on <clears throat> in an earlier podcast and one of his, I mean, he's one of kind of like the leading proponents of UBI. Um, and, and one of his uh, uh, kind of insistences on this topic, I think it might even be uh, his version of the U in UBI is the idea of unconditionality, right? Mm-hmm. So like an unconditional basic income. And of course um, that's very difficult to, uh, that's very, very difficult to trust when you have kind of, hot and cold state-based support programs, right? Where like, Mm -hmm. in a sense, you can get yourself into a scenario where maybe as an artist or as, you know, an essential worker where you're very, very dependent on the state, but you have no kind of guarantees um, that 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 support will be be ongoing. Um, I kind of wonder as well if experiments like this, when you were saying earlier, like why would a business sign up 
um, uh, for something like this. I think there's numerous reasons why uh, why they might do that, but another maybe uh, a compelling component of this is is almost in a sense as kind of advocacy for the idea of basic income itself, right? That even if I, I do agree uh, that there are, there are, there are definite kind of clear benefits to the idea of that being de- decentralized from the beginning. Um, clearly, it would be like a really uh, a really cool thing to come from an experiment like this to be able to demonstrate how such a uh, how such an unconditional basic income done at the state level um, might benefit local communities, right? Um, and if you can prototype that. Um, uh, in the in this scenario, then then I'm sure I'm sure uh, state authorities will be very very interested in seeing the results of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that sort of basic income advocacy is certainly one of the reasons people might use Circle, sort of these ideological concerns. And it's also it's always been one of the goals of the project, um, though it's far too early um, now to sort of publish results at some point. Um, there's a really long history of basic income pilots publishing their findings, um, what happened in the communities that implemented them, and, and Circles would like to contribute to that. Yeah, because I can see even the inflationary component, um, it kind of answers a lot of kind of skeptical attitudes I've heard around basic income that are valid, to be honest. But this idea of saying, for example, well, you know, wouldn't landlords just increase the rent? by whatever extra money was arriving into every citizen's bank account every month, right? Like, um, and this idea that a basic income would instead be run in an inflationary way um, or or be done in such a sense that, you know, it, it wasn't run through fiat, um, but, it, but, but instead it was something that like a bunch of different landlords and restaurants and service providers were to sign up to, that kind of mitigates that risk in some senses, right? Because it takes it takes the the <clears throat> it takes the 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 value uh, or or the the currency um, outside of a pure free market realm and into just kind of a general solidarity commitment from partner organizations. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it definitely answered or gives a, an alternative answer to to how how would pricing change. But we do still have questions with circles about how pricing mm-hmm. would would have to adapt. Um, and I think there are two um, Mm -hmm. sort of ways to do it. And one is just to inflate pricing um, as needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other, um, and this is borrowed from Duneter. Duneter of all all the alternative currencies that we've talked about, Duneter is the most similar to circles um, by far. They have a really similar monetary policy and they have a really similar inflationary scheme. And where is Duneter found? France, Uh, right? France, yeah. Their biggest community, I think, is in Toulouse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and they had a lot of trouble spreading because um, five trust connections is so hard to get. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it hasn't really grown outside of France. Um, so um, so what they do is they have two, two units of account. Um, one is um, circles tokens, which are what you see in the app now. And then the other is um, the amount of tokens that you get in one day and that changes mm-hmm. over time and it's different every every inflation period mm-hmm. um so the idea is that we can do pricing um we can, or we can use one to do pricing in the other um so say this year it's you get well actually you get eight circles a day right now so let's use the real number <laughs> um and you might say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna charge um you know my item for about half a day's worth of circles. So four, 
next year, this is not how it's actually going to inflate, but let's say it inflated um, 100% and you've got 16 circles a day, you could um, use that sort of daily unit to price and you could say, okay, it's still worth half a day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. but I send you a different quantity of tokens. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of one way of doing it. I think that's maybe presents um, a big onboarding challenge for people to understand it, but maybe not. Um, I think because the inflation will be so slow at first, we have a bit of time to sort of think about and experiment with how to present it and how to adapt pricing though. That makes sense. Um, so I'm curious as well to talk maybe about the implications this has. So we've talked about local currencies and in many cases with the history of local currencies, it's very much kind of focused on the places where you physically live. But of course, with the introduction of circles and also thinking about, you know, the discords that I frequent and the people that I ended up trusting, I do trust them, but most of whom I haven't met. I might have a relationship with them that goes back years, in fact, because we're friends online. Um, have you thought of any uh, use cases where circles could be useful for these kind of immaterial, um, uh, local or whatever? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, immaterial uh, uh, localities. Yeah. Um, well, one of the like longest running and hottest debated things in circles was whether Ooh. we should roll out circles for a global audience or only for Berlin. Ooh. Um, team, a lot of team conflict on that one. We ended up going with the global one. Um, I'm sure if we'd rolled it out for Berlin, I would have had a more peaceful last two weeks. <laughs> um, I don't know. German, Germans can be pretty aggressive with their uh, customer, customer service complaints. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And instead, I'm dealing with, I don't know where these are coming from. These uh, Twitter messages. Um, so um, in terms of what... I mean, I think that it's what you say is totally true. And in the guy in the app copy, I think we say don't trust people you don't know in real life. But um, real life does not necessarily mean physical uh, yep. to me anymore, at least. Um, yep. So I definitely also trust people that I know um, online. Uh, I think that um, one thing that's kind of coming to mind uh, there is um, online content payments. Yep. Um, are, are a pretty good use case for sending circles within a community of people online. Mm -hmm. um, that said, um, depending on the density of, of overlap between sort of two people and or, or regions, um, it might be a bit difficult to spend the circles that you might be paid from a remote friend. Yep, yep, yep. Um, oh, yeah. On things in your locality. So if yep. the areas are really densely connected or the friend group is very strong, then you, you probably would. But um, if you have like that one friend who lives in, I don't know, Vancouver, um, but you don't know anyone else in Vancouver, even though you might like want to contribute to their decentralized Patreon with it, um, they might not be able to buy coffee in their own city. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I wonder because... We've seen a few uh, recently kind of like tokenized Discord environments mm -hmm. um, that, for example, like uh, uh, Trevor McFedry started the Friends with Benefits uh, uh, Discord. And there's a few others where basically, the, I, 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 forget, I think the name, the organization is called uh, something. It lets you tokenize anything. And I'm struggling to remember what it's called. God damn it. It would be so much better if I could remember what it's called. You can just insert it when you think. Collabland. It's called Collabland. Collab.land. 
but but it's kind of interesting in a sense, right? Because you know the the, the general idea is that you can have uh, by staking a certain token, it can get you access to a Discord. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you're in that Discord, you're ostensibly kind of curating a community of people who want to be there. Um, the doors are pretty wide open because access is enabled simply by, you know, having some of that token in your wallet. And technically anyone can do that through Uniswap or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you're in the Discord, there's kind of some cool things happening in the sense where like, you know, uh, people are giving uh, native tokens to the Discord to others in the Discord to write down think pieces, for example, right? So what you just described about online content, I've seen examples of that already, right? Where people are commissioning, in essence, kind of like short pieces for the community. um, And that's paid for by the native token. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking about like, favor networks or whatever, right? Of, for example, people who live immaterial lives and have immaterial careers in many cases. Um, you can kind of, I can kind of imagine the idea of like little discord villages of people, of trusted people, um, of trusted people who are like, Hey, will you run your eyes over this proposal I'm making? Um, here's some circles. Um, sure. And I'll, I'll get you back sometime, right? Like, there's ways to kind of there's ways to kind of compensate in, in, in those scenarios, but of course, as you say, it, it's very difficult to redeem that into a coffee. Um, uh, it, it, yeah, well, virtual coffee is still something we're working on. In. So one thing that I still don't understand is how um, mm, how it works so locally. So in order for me to spend my Berlin circle does it have to are there like certain degrees of um trust you have to have to that business owner? to that business yeah is it like i don't know seven degrees of kevin bacon or whatever is six it, degrees, <laughs> six of, kevin degrees bacon. of kevin is it that kind of thing or is it is it uh based on geography or how does it work where i can actually spend my circle that's a great point though yeah can i buy a coffee from someone who doesn't know anyone i know uh Possibly. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I'm glad you asked actually, because we just, we jumped totally into the sort of social dynamics, but there's like a, but we haven't actually explained this sort of co- fundamental part of how it works, which is um, that money passes through the pass of the trust graph. So it's not like um, seven degrees of separation thing where there's a, a cutoff, though there is a cutoff. Um, I don't actually know what it is. Um, so let's say, um, we call it transitive transactions and we pass the tokens along the path. Um, so let's say just for an example, um, that I trust Holly and Holly trusts Matt, but Matt does not trust me. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? Um, but Matt wants to pay me for something. Um, so what we do is we do a transitive transaction. So Matt sends some of his token to Holly and Holly sends some of her token to me. Yep. Um, so that means that Holly got Matt token, but she's already trusted it. So she's said she's okay with that. Um, and I got Holly token, which I trust and I'm okay with. But in yep. effect, Matt paid me. Yep. Um, so that can happen over many steps. And the limit to it really is just how um, the block gas limit, like there's a, a some point that Ethereum will say, that's too much computation. I'm not doing this. Um, so I'm not sure how many steps it is, but as long as a path can be found, um, between Mm -hmm. two users, they can transact. And so as soon as, okay, so I get Matt token token, and then you get Holly token. Mm -hmm. Does then the Holly token, as soon as you get it, turn into Sarah token? It stays Holly token. Forever. Uh Yep. 
So, oh, wow. uh, so now I have some Holly token and that's maybe great because now I can send that Holly token to everyone who accepts Holly token. And that's more people than might accept Sarah token. Uh, please don't buy heroin with Holly token. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's uh, <laughs> another informal economy, but <laughs> yeah, it's like, excuse me, sir, you get like a knock on the door at night. You're like, I've known this guy on Discord for ten years. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I mean, uh, people who have received the tokens of some other user that that user has no control over it actually, though. Um, yep. You know, that might take some explaining uh, the first time. So does this make then certain users' tokens more popular because they're more popular and have more connections? So maybe their their tokens are then more valuable. Uh, or could you see certain like power users becoming almost like brokers? So one of the dystopian speculative worlds I've considered <laughs> for circles is that people try to own the tokens that belong to celebrities just because it's cool. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if that will happen. When you trust someone, you're, you're, so it is true that some tokens are easier to spend than others. The more people trust you, the more your token can be spent. Um, and so that's, that is true. Um, but what trust means is it's a commitment to accept that token at a one-to-one -one ratio with your own token. Um, okay. So, so it has to be, that, that's enforced. Yeah. And that's also pretty useful because that means, let's say I knew, I'm trying to think of someone famous now, like I knew Brad Pitt, right? Let's mm -hmm. just pretend I do. And he sent me Brad tokens. I can't send you Brad tokens unless Brad, uh, my friend Brad has trusted you, right? Um, you would be able to send me Brad tokens if I trusted Brad, but uh, Brad cannot, won't receive my tokens unless Brad trusts me. Aha, okay, so okay, I see, I see how the dystopian... He accepts, but not who receives his. I could imagine another dystopian scenario that's a little bit funnier, like a kind of like power mom who like, <laughs> you know, she's like controlling all of the neighborhood um, play groups and everything. And she takes bribes in fiat in order to kind of like exchange. Oh, yeah. She becomes like a broker, like an exchange and like people. Yeah, are you're not going to be able to get in on the babysitting club unless I trust you. you so you got to give me a hundred bucks a you week. You can't to use your tokens to pay for the babysitting club unless you give me 10 bucks or whatever. <laughs> And yeah. it might, and it totally might happen. <laughs> Interesting. So, yeah, like what, what sort of, uh, you know, a dynamics will appear in this community. I, I actually don't know. It's, it's my hope that they don't become more toxic than the ones we already experience. I, I can imagine not. I think it, it sounds like a whole bunch of effort. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, I do think, I mean, the one thing I, I do want to commend you on that I, I think is really cool and to go off on a little rant here uh, is just this idea of being able to tie some of these uh, cool ideas to uh, material space. It's kind of like, I remember years ago, like ranting at a bunch of people in the Ethereum community, you know, because like amongst amongst a lot of kind of 
the, the let's say the good crypto people that tend to kind of like gather around Ethereum, right? They're the kind of the do-gooders who have like lefty ambitions and so on and so forth tend to cluster around Ethereum. There's many memes about about this um, and it's justified. The unicorn loving vegan Ethereum kids. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And 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 good for them because I, I, it's really sweet and wonderful. But the one, that, but, but, but amongst that, you know, that there's been, been a lot of discussion about how in a sense, you know, these are tools that will help bank the unbanked, right? These are tools that will help, um, you know, overturn the awfully exploitative remittance payments schemes like Western Union that basically fleece migrant workers in order to be able to send um, hard-earned money that they earn in Germany or the UK back home, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of these ideas are very beautiful, but I couldn't help but feel after, for example, you know, the last kind of great, like the, the ICO boom and the last kind of huge market rush when you had, you know, many people from the Ethereum community walking around with like millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars that just kind of like landed in their feet, at their feet, um, that in a sense more could have been done to have demonstrated some of these kind of cool, maybe more egalitarian ideas in a way that you could palpably experience if you weren't part of that world, you know? Um, and I remember going on a rant at one point, it was, it was some dinner or something, and I was like, you know, this stuff will start being really real to me when, like, I can go to, like, Neukölln, and there's a screen on the wall at this restaurant. I'm just like, why don't you, with all your money, like, set up a bunch of, you know, you can go to markets, and, like, there's some Syrian migrant family cooking amazing food. I'm like, set them up with a restaurant and demonstrate to me how I can pay with Ether here and look at that screen and see that token be transacted back to Syria in real time, right? And I'm like, the second you do that, you're going to get everybody in the local community, one, wanting to turn up to that cafe or restaurant to have lunch, and number two, wanting to experiment with it and be like, wow, this is kind of crazy, right? Like, you've got this open, transparent blockchain system where every transaction can be tracked. And I know now that when I'm buying this meal, there's a portion of that through this smart contract that's sending that token straight back to, to, to this person's family. Like, this is remarkable. Of course, I'm going to eat here every day. And in fact, I'm going to want every restaurant to work that way, right? Sorry, this is me. This is me totally ranting. <laughs> um, it just, but it just felt like there were so many opportunities to kind of demonstrate some of these kind of grand claims um, in real space in a way that didn't kind of take a rocket scientist to figure out, you know? Um, and I think that uh, even though that you, you guys aren't necessarily claiming to do that, I, I do want to commend you. The, the idea of like signing up the Spati or the coffee shop and saying, look, like we're going to demonstrate how these kind of immaterial currencies can bring real genuine benefits to like regular people's lives. Um, because that's something that like, you know, as, as, as wonderful as the, the unicorn loving uh, uh, vegan Ethereum community um, is, uh, it would be kind of nice to see, given the amount of capital circulating around that world, it'd be kind of nice to see more of that from my perspective. Yeah, um, totally. I think it's one of the things that's kind of funny about circles. I, I have no problem with the Ethereum or crypto community, it, really. I've been a part of it for a long time. But the circles user that we imagine when, we're, when we've been building circles for the past two years is not that person. Um, yep, yep, yep. So, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think there's a couple things that are definitely true of sort of all, all blockchain for social good projects for sure. And, and actually most projects for social good in general uh, that you got to ask yourself, and I certainly have many times, is um, 
would it be better to just take all the money we're using to build this and like just directly redistribute it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, it's a legit one um, that you could definitely level at circles as well as, as many other projects. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing that, that I will say for, um, for the crypto community that is, is true is, is actually a lot of them do donate. Yeah, for um, sure. To things. We are, we are donation funded circles is, um, and, uh, I, I have experienced, you know, um, some fundraising successes from friendly, um, crypto rich people. So it does happen. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, there's this like mismatch between, you know, um, sort of what, a, a tech early adopter community um, from a developed world thinks is activism versus like what really changes things and it's pervasive through crypto for social good and, and just projects for social good in general. It's a, it's a real problem. Yeah, it's true. And, and, and to give credit as well, I mean, the, the alpha unicorn loving vegan, even though I don't know if he's actually a vegan, uh, Vitalik, I know is given a, a lot of the money um, that he's earned from Ethereum to charity. And he's kind of, in a way, kind of taking advantage of the, the clear open goal or like obvious opportunity in a sense when you're talking about like transparent blockchains where you can track transactions where, you know, he's a strong advocate of the effective altruism community, which I'm not sure if I'm sure you both are familiar with what that is. But if those who maybe aren't familiar, the idea of effective altruism is basically it's kind of like a, a rationalist view on giving. Right. So the idea is that if you want to donate some money, um, there are people who think about, you know, the best way to get the most value out of every dollar that you donate. Um, with because the traditional philanthropy community has been largely debunked as like um, extremely inefficient. Bloated. Bloated, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're paying someone's salary or you're paying like the NGO salary. You're paying for the nice building um, and the effective altruism thing. I think, I think the main recommendation for the past number of years has been like give money directly to this organization for mosquito nets. Like mm-hmm. you buying this mosquito nets is saving more lives and enabling more people to live rich lives than you funneling this through these kind of weird network of NGOs and kind of nonprofits. And of course, the Ethereum community, I mean, as I say, it, it's... What's the one in the UK? <coughs> Oxfam. It has yeah, yeah, like yeah. a hideous, I think like only like 9% or something of the donations actually go to people. <laughs> well, same. Like, I mean, like Mother Teresa, yeah. et cetera, right? It's like, it's like these kind of PR... You know, yeah. these, these kind of PR operations that, that you know, where, you know, uh, uh, yeah, that, yeah, and a lot of that money gets leached, uh, uh, leaked, leaked elsewhere. But of course, the, the great opportunity in this blockchain space is that you do have these kind of transparent accounting systems, right, where you could set up a better charity than everybody else, in a sense, by showing and demonstrating exactly where every cent of that money goes, mm-hmm. um, you know, in a way that's, that's kind of very, very difficult to do with, with traditional banking. Yeah, for sure. And and maybe this should be a, a one of these blockchain for social good projects, but it should actually launch and, you know, not only be a hackathon dream. Yeah, well, you're doing it. So that's, <laughs> it, it definitely launched. Um, your server's fried. That, that, that oh, counts, I think. Yeah, well, in our... In our, in our um, uh, uh, defense. We are definitely not a bloated organization. There are only five of us, <laughs> um, and, and we could we could really use some help. Actually, um, I was just going to ask. I wonder if there are any communities that have come forward where you've been surprised, like people that are experimenting with this that maybe you didn't expect, or yeah, have there been any kind of like nice surprises? 
Um, yeah, there've been both nice surprises and funny ones. Um, like <laughs> probably the email from the landlord was one of the like, oh my God, already moments. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there, we have a list of, um, I saw, so I'm not part of the team who's doing this coordination, but the community team of circles has a list of people in I think 40 different countries who want to get it started in their own cities. And that's, oh, wow. you know, that's way more reach than we thought there would be. Um, and it, some of it is like, you know, small and very cute. Like I want to play poker with my friends at game night using this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and others are like, there's, there's, I want to like really onboard my city. I'm very ambitious. There's serious need here. Um, so they range, um, they're all, but they're all just starting, you know? So it's what, mm-hmm. what, what will be the ones that grow? Will it be the Berlin one or, or maybe one of these others? We don't, we don't really know yet. Um, I look forward to having um, more uh, examples over over the coming months. Um, probably the funniest one was Binance wants to list circles. Oh wow! Whoa! Um, which of course is a bit ridiculous because who who circles? <laughs> like who circles are they gonna list? <laughs> I want my own Binance. They can list exchange my. They can list my circles. <laughs> I'll give them permission. And it's like funds oh, are safe, Holly. Yeah. <laughs> well, careful, Holly, because if you list your token, someone's definitely gonna buy heroin with it. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, that's amazing. Though you should definitely take them up on that just for the. <laughs> this is how we'll fund we'll fund the project. Like I'll list my circles token on Binance, and then we'll be funded for the next year. Um, that actually could happen. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, someone someone put one on Uniswap also. Um, All right, oh, cool. And it was selling for eighty dollars, which, oh, which is actually like uh, I mean, it's comical. But I feel really bad for everyone who who bought it. It's, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't think there was that much volume of transactions, but it's. It's shitty. Yeah, it's become really easy, right? Because like I noticed that with a few other projects, you can basically go on Uniswap. That it seems like they've mitigated that a little bit with the kind of trusted token lists mm-hmm. um, feature that they implemented. But there was a period of time where you could just type in a token that you were kind of curious about, and there would be like sixteen of them <laughs> <laughs> just waiting to ensnare you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think I don't know if everyone on maybe everyone who uses Uniswap knows by now how easy it is to name a token something but somehow i suspect not yeah 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 well i guess i mean uh, again with your uh, your experience of the flood of the flood of uh, interest interest from uh, from token speculators in circles no, no, i don't they're all just genuinely interested in you no, I, Matt. I think no i mean it's, it's just kind of like bot mentality right it's like and i mean my heart goes out because i think there's also a, there's also a, a culture of desperation in the in deep in the telegram groups yeah, right where true. like I think people are just genuinely trying to jump on anything in the hope that they catch one fish or whatever. Um, but yeah, but my guess is that, yeah, most people, it, it, it takes too much time to read the details, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that may be from a place of, of genuine need. Um, yeah. yeah I agree. But um, you know, it's, it's just not, that's not, speci- that is not the way that circles is designed to meet needs at least. So, mm-hmm. right. So I wanted to pivot a little bit because, of course, from your your introduction, and we know this, you are, and I don't want to say also an artist because the the tone uh, or or the the question I want to ask in a sense is where does your work on circles fit in with your art practice? Um, because in a way, it 
from knowing you from other corners, it kind of fits in, you know, like there doesn't seem to be too much inconsistency, even, even though the, the, uh, uh, uh even though of course the, uh, 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 you know, uh, there's not many people frying servers over, over, over artworks. Um, or maybe, maybe BTS is probably the only example globally. I don't know. I think lots of our friends are probably frying servers. <laughs> I, I, I hope to someday, Solidly fried. <laughs> but it has never happened yet. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Um, I think it is actually. You're right. Connected to some of the things that I think about with my artworks, but um, but maybe the connection is well twofold. Um, one circles is sort of a set of mechanisms. It's Kind of, you can think of circles as a game, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that I have thought about a lot in my work as well and mm-hmm. do think about. Um, I, I've written about um, sort of crypto projects that are um, really experimental um, in terms of what they uh, imagine money could be. Um, and I've built one. And that isn't circles. Um, so circles mm-hmm. is, is maybe similar. It's, it's related. It's a similar thing. Um, but it's, it's not um, an experiment in how we might make poetic, useless currencies. Um, mm-hmm. It's an experiment in um, something that might actually um, be used or an experiment with a different sort of direction. But it still mm-hmm. has that quality of being an experiment with what money could be. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like an a, a economic science fiction project, but real. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 it's it's really interesting, right? Because I've definitely run into this in the past uh, before, where it's like, in a sense, I don't see any kind of um, inconsistency between the idea of an art, the, an art project ultimately having a utility in the world, but it does feel that, like, I mean, when we talk about, for example, state funding structures or you know classic art programs or whatever, there does seem to be this kind of like informal. Um, what's the word, like co- coda uh, or protocol in which uh, an artwork ceases to be an artwork the second that it starts doing stuff? Like, you know, the second that it... Well, we've <laughs> run into this with potential grants. It's like, oh, well, yeah, sure. you know, if you turn it into a performance, then we can fund it. But if it's a functioning piece of software that you could potentially sell, then we can't fund it. Absolutely. And it's bizarre, yeah. Yeah, no, I joked. I mean, I mean, years ago, I, I worked on like a, a, a publishing framework, you know, and I had someone say to me, like, if you turn this into a, um, you know, a work of speculative fiction, maybe in like a video essay format, we'd be very, very happy to give you a bunch of money. Um, and I was like, no, no, no. I want to like hire a, another developer to like make this a real thing in the world. And they're like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've actually experienced um, the opposite with Circles. So uh, two, two fun anecdotes. One, early on, before I joined Circles, uh, Circles was advised by a lawyer who um, said that we should describe Circles as an art project to avoid legal liability. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Which is really funny. Circles is performance art, maybe. Um, <laughs> like Alex Jones. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that is the only similarity. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, so did you... Did, did you all choose to go down that route? Oh, Is it we, we, we didn't, but I think, like, I bring it up. I think it's really, you know, the, the, the blurry line. There's a very blurry line sometimes, I think. Um, mm-hmm. 
And but then but also um, actually fun fact, um, me and a, a, a circles colleague, Sarah Swathi Subaraman, wrote an application to the IBEAM residency a couple years ago mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. to work on circles with IBEAM funding. Um, and they they wrote us back saying it's a shame this isn't a real project and only an artwork. <laughs> oh, well, that's kind of. Which is, which is to say it was profoundly misunderstood. Um, yeah. <laughs> the opposite of the sort of funding situation you're describing. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a shame that they misunderstood the, the I mean, it that's just what you're intending. Like funding but. body, like when, when you're dealing with these kind of, I don't know, emergent forms, it's difficult to fit them into particular like project modes, traditional funding models. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You're kind of, you're excluded from certain funding opportunities, whichever category mm-hmm. you fit in, but the categories themselves are kind of a joke um, mm-hmm. as a practitioner. Totally. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a shame. I mean, I guess that's always like, it is the risk that you run being kind of at the, the edge of people's perception of things, right? Because like... I guess you're just too avant-garde. Yeah, I guess you're just you're just too, you're just too, too far ahead of people. I think, that's, I think that's kind of true to some extent. You know, it's like... It is. I mean, like it is, uh, um, you know, and of course, when you're dealing with like, uh, again, to borrow your interpretation, like one of the things I found so exciting about the crypto space in a sense is that from the beginning, I saw most of it as kind of an art project, right? In the sense of like, I mean, particularly around like ICO period, I was like, wow, it's like people writing like poorly edited essays about global, (laughs) global economics and like a bunch of people then being like, yeah, I'll subscribe to that science fiction vision, you know? And it's like, and then you had the very studied kind of like academic artist friends that I know writing actually far more nuanced (laughs) and probably far more practicable uh, 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 ideas in an arts context. And, and, you know, and they're not being really a mechanism to support that. And so, you know, the, 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 the history of like this kind of, this kind of open sourcing of ideas and allowing people to, to, to come in and like stake their, uh, stake their belief in an idea to me seems like a very kind of beautiful and poetic, uh, 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 grants for for art making. Yeah, I I, I agree. The crypto space is particularly um, particularly slippery in, in terms of these categories, um, and I also definitely agree that you can be too early with a practical project and an artwork for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's funny. I wrote an article about um, specifically uh, this sort of slipperiness between you know, real things that were happening sincerely in the crypto community, artworks in the crypto community and memes um, back in 2017. And I can't dig it up, but there's this really great passage, um, something about how like the, the the pinnacle of performance art is like a hedge fund manager. Um, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, but you know, it's, it's hard not to um, see or, or how does our work compete with the surreality of some of the things that um, happened um, mm-hmm. remember when, um, what was it? Long Island Ice Tea changed its name to Long Blockchain? Something like this. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> fresh on my, on my like 2017, um, uh, memes, but like, how, how does, how does artwork even compete with that? Like reality is yeah. so, is so insane. Um, what was that yeah. called? It was called the the year crypto got weird or something. If anyone wants to look it up, I'm 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 skimming it right now to try and find to try and find the example. Well, but, I yeah. remember like some companies just put blockchain in their company name and they their stock price shot up on the stock market during that time. Like it was just so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Everything around that time. 
Dennis Rodman heading June June thirteenth, twenty seventeen, headed back to North Korea. Thank you, Popcoin.com. <laughs> <laughs> For sponsoring my mission. Uh, yeah. I guess this is why we gave birth to an AI baby that year, because we were like, we need, we need to up the weird. No, but it, it is somewhat true, right? Also, when, when so many people's kind of experience of experience of artwork, artwork sadly, is so kind of immaterial, you know, and, and, the, the, and the role of, like, entertainment and, like, novelty and kind of, like, drawing the eye. I mean, like... We we've had who are we talking to about this in relation to weirdness? Oh, Elvia Wilk, um, mm. whose work whose work for better or worse has been described as part of the new weird. If you um, haven't read her book uh, Oval or Oval, I don't know how you pronounce it. I would highly recommend it because it's about a kind of near future Berlin that deals a lot with the kind of startup community and totally yeah. yeah it's it's a, yeah it's it's kind of about like the post internet period and like that time which in, in a weird way does kind of presage the the weird art crypto moment in, yeah, in berlin that we're experiencing some of the feeling where you're mm-hmm. kind of like people who have like you know art practices um all of a sudden you know going and starting companies or working in startups and they're not really being any any kind of like ideological resistance to that development um and the book is kind of about that and mm-hmm. and it, it of course lampoons a lot of people but but it's <laughs> but it's really good but but we talked a little bit about this concept of weird where in a sense like weirdness itself i like am quite resistant to it in some cases because i'm, I'm kind of like weirded out like i'm like <laughs> i'm done you know what i mean like I, my my uh i'm weird fatigued in the sense that like you know because going from like a period of like weird twitter or like uh, uh, you know, a moment that we've undoubtedly uh, uh, benefited from maybe in the early 2010s where all of a sudden, like, there was this really high currency for, like, artwork that was really quite strange. I think very, very likely kind of happening in tandem with, you know, the attention economy growing, right? It's like weirdness grabs your attention. That's just the, the truth. There's, like, true weirdness, and then there's, like, kind of normie weirdness, like the kind of Old Spice commercials. Well, that's, know, like, but that's exactly like it. Surreal weirdness, uh, weird. Well, that's exactly it. It's a like marketing gimmick. When it becomes a marketing gimmick, right? So now, like, you know, like Elon Musk releasing a Harambe song or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it that's takes marketing. on, yeah, it takes on a more sinister tone where you're like, this Elon isn't. Elon Musk is so wannabe weird. <laughs> well, exactly. You know what I'm saying? It, it's exactly, I'm like, I'm fatigued because it's, like, weird in that context now is, like, it's actually kind of like almost like state policy, right? You have like Ahmadinejad being like, what what weird thing can I do on Twitter in order to destroy, or Trump himself, right? Like, what weird thing can I do on Twitter to like divert attention away from this other thing that's occurring or, or you know, curry favor with mm-hmm. a bunch of baying kind of stands online, right? Mm-hmm. Like weird has gone from being, you know, genuinely unusual people who pursue nerdy interests, of which of course uh, is the benighted category that we all fall in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're all genuinely weird. Yeah, we're all, yeah. No, no, but, but, of course. No, but you got what I'm saying. And then there's weird as kind of like a weapon, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that, well, I definitely think that, especially more after this conversation, but we do need subgenres of weird. Um, <laughs> the word is starting to fall apart because everything's weird, right? Like I can yeah. say something's weird and mean it's good. I can say something's weird and mean it's bad. I can say something's weird and mean like a whole lot of things. Um, it's a bit like, like sick. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, like it's just floating around. I think we need, we need some more categories. I don't know what they should be, but um, but 
But I also, you know, somehow, even as we have this conversation, feel like uh, uh, I've rolled through these cycles before, you know, I've experienced like norm core as a reaction to like, um, you know, like taking back being basic as a, as a, yeah. as a, as a modality kind of already that feels even um, a bit retro. And, and so totally. I'm, so I'm not sure like how to, how to react to the um, weird, to weird fatigue even. Uh, <laughs> I think, so, yeah. I think ultimately like actually maybe it's just to be, to be sincere um oh that's music to my ears that's i mean honestly that's always my fallback is i'm like actually the you we're, know yeah we're sincere by default and it's sometimes painful in this world <laughs> well, it's, uh, and also uh, not to be not to be self-aggrandizing or whatever but i think that like that's also my experience with artists that i really like is that generally the artists i really like are effortlessly strange uh because they're pursuing their own path right but there's also kind of a consistency there that i don't see with kind of common understandings of what weird has become right where it's like the actual weird as i know working on stuff i mean i brought up like our cryptographer friend earlier right who's like a very weird person by by most people's standard the amount he cares about cryptography you know um, <laughs> but but they're somehow consistently always fresh too you know because like they have a genuine interest in something that matures and develops over time and it kind of has like a timeless quality to it but you'd never say that like, even when people start caring more about the subject superficially that they're into, they're still, you could still never confuse them for the person who's genuinely interested in the topic, you know? And so that kind of sincerity and consistency as conservative as that sounds ends up being feeling weird because it, it means in the sense that you kind of have a spine and that you have like a coherent principle that goes through your work or goes through the way you live your life. Yeah. You know? It's having a practice versus kind of like putting on a look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I, 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 I try to practice this um, as an artist. I also, I also think that, you know, um, interest outside of your discipline um, yep. helps mm, too. It's so important. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, we definitely agree on that part. I mean. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually less familiar with your art practice. So maybe just understanding what, I mean, I, yeah, just understanding what all that encompasses. I guess I've seen that you do some video work, you do essay work, you're clearly a developer. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of projects do you, how does this normally kind of manifest? Well, ClickMine is a classic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did ClickMine and I got, so ClickMine is a clicker game, um, which is supposed to be a bit satirical. It came out and was a response to a lot of the things that happened in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um and it's funny, I haven't made any other blockchain artworks since. <laughs> I mean, I've made artworks that encompass, you know, uh, what I think of as economic mechanisms. Um, but I, um, but I guess I got, I got, I got a little concerned about being like a blockchain artist. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't want the, the medium to come before art itself. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I like ran, I started doing a bunch of other projects with a bunch of other technologies. And um, I think something that I'll, I'll admit to feeling unsure or uncomfortable about is my practice is reliance on technology. It always uses yeah. technology. It always uses fairly emerging technology. Mm -hmm. um, and I sometimes wonder um, what it would look like if I didn't. Um, and I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, and I also wonder about exhibition contexts where the exhibition is structured around using a particular technology. Yeah. Um, cause there's a lot of that and I 
I don't know. I don't, I don't want, I don't always want the technology to lead. So I get, I get, yeah. I get, I have questions about it. Um, I think that, um, I mean, when you asked about sort of the connection between circles and my art practice, actually the most obvious answer that I thought I like didn't say was software. Yep. Um, I think of software underscores all of my work. Um, I, I'm like a software practitioner. Um, mm-hmm. And, and for me, like the experience and practice of writing software is very um, spatial and kind of sculptural. Mm, like, mm-hmm. what is a protocol doing and how does it move? Um, I'm not, it's not an image of things on computers all over the world. It literally is. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, <clears throat> and so there's like a formal quality there that I think is, is maybe a theme. Um, mm-hmm. And and so that's I mean circles is obviously also a, a thing that is made of, of software like this this handmade this surprisingly handmade um, infrastructural thing um, so I think that that's um, all, all of my projects have that in common in some way um, and I guess I've been I've been some of my more recent work is I've been thinking about face filters and making face filters, um, mm-hmm. not on Instagram because I'm sort of skeptical of, um, the ways that Facebook authenticates developers, but, um, mm-hmm. but so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a face filter project that explores, you know, the ways that, um, algorithms detect faces, um, and also, um, the, the, there's like a, I don't know, it'll launch next week. <laughs> <laughs> You're on a tight schedule. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. It's been a, it's been a rough, rough period. Um, but yeah, it's also like there's like an environmental component, um, you know, how we see ourselves versus how we see other things. It's all about kind of looking. Um, yeah, and another project about navigating the internet Um where I did this kind of like little widget that you can put on your website and, and sort of randomly browse through all these interconnected websites, kind of like bringing back the web rings of the nineties. Mm, uh, cool. So these are maybe some examples. Like I'm just, I, 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 I play around with technology. Um, I think, but I'm, I'm, I'm searching a little bit for where to go next. I really loved how you described it as sculptural and as kind of like living in these infrastructures that, that creates a really beautiful, image in my mind. That's a really cool way to describe it. Well, for sure. I mean, it's also just like, I mean, it's one of these things where it's still a relatively young practice in a sense of like the ability to be able to produce software um, as like an autonomous figure. Right. I mean, if you think about like Mm. the, you know, how recent the internet is, I mean, how recent like the app store is, how recent it is that we can run executables like on our fucking phones or whatever. I mean, this is like pretty recent. And so, yeah, also that kind of bespoke quality that traditionally would have been attributed to physical arts. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I like that emphasis on software because it is it is quite clearly a very bespoke and intentional yeah, it sounds um, like gesture. Craftswomanship. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, abs- absolutely. And 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 unfortunately, as well, I feel like there's there's more of an avenue for people to experience that work and more just more of a kind of lexicon or or awareness for for differences in experience, if that makes sense, that aren't necessarily, and, and I say this because my next question is, <clears throat> is, is, is kind of uh, building on this, but I say this as being separate, for example, from the kind of like, you know, like skeuomorphic kind of like VR um, uh, emphasis of like certain digital artworks where 
you know, you could say that like you're creating something that looks like a sculpture. It just so happens to be in pixels, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, rather the 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 idea of like bespoke software craft craftspersonship, like this idea of being able to uh, produce an experience for people um, uh, and publish that, um, uh, yeah, is 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 a special practice. I think. Thanks. Yeah, I I, I definitely feel like um, I'm I'm forever trying to make a distinguishment between like um, I don't make like digital artworks. I make software that is art. Mm-hmm. Um, and and not always succeeding in explaining it, um, but I'm getting it's better. Tough, yeah. yeah, no, it's <laughs> um, tough. I, I, I don't I don't envy you having to do that. And it's funny. It's a similar experience. Sometimes I, I'm sure you're familiar with the crypto art phenomenon. Um, yeah, like going to the blockchain world and being like, well, I, I I create economic mechanisms and I put them in smart contracts and that's art. Yeah. Um, versus like I make a token and sell it <laughs> that is yeah. my like digital artworks that are actually made in another medium entirely. It's um, um well, that's I'm, what I wanted to talk about next because obviously we've just gone through um, a little bit of a a little bit of an NFT spike, um, and I think that's you actually you put that distinction really beautifully, right? Is that it's kind of weird because I mean, I get this a lot, right? Having like a long engagement with the arts and also with the kind of crypto sphere is people then naturally assume that I'm going to be really interested in like blender rendered art being sold as NFTs on like a, you know, on a gallery somewhere. Um, and in actuality, it's like quite the opposite. I'm like, actually, you know, like token incentive design tokenomics to me is like a far more expressive artwork than this thing that was made on photoshop that just so happens to have some token stuff behind it or or a song for that matter that's streamed through a decentralized infrastructure versus a centralized infrastructure you know that that to me seems to be far more uh uh verdant uh uh, uh foundation for uh for for new kinds of art and, and expression than just simply like sticking a blockchain behind actually, uh, you know, quite traditional art form. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And, 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 and in 2017, I was on a lot of weird blockchain art panels where I tried to articulate oh, yeah. that. Um, <laughs> luckily, I, I managed to have, like, drifted out and that scene has taken on. It's become its own scene, really, so it no longer calls in people like me to, to speak. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I, I do say, and I will say, that I have two planned projects that engage with this phenomenon that I'm looking cool. forward to doing when I have more time. Uh, I should say, I maybe I haven't yet, that I'm going on sabbatical in three days from Circles. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so soon. Yeah, well, Congratulations. It's going to be a long three days and then uh, <laughs> spacious several months. Um, so yeah, I, I, have, I have two engagements that are maybe a little bit like trollish to the world of, of NFT art um, planned. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it. I just, I guess the way I often articulate it, and maybe this is familiar, or to, this is akin to what you're saying about tokenomics, is that, you know, like having spent so long thinking about money and building alternative forms of money, um, I can't really see the sale of an artwork as being a, a neutral thing. It is part, it's like part of the experience of the artwork to me. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep. Um, and it, it has to be considered. And like, what platform is it sold on and how? Those are all sort of components that are available as art mediums too. Yeah, I 
stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds that sounds that sounds rad. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's um, yeah, and I, I kind of agree with you too. I have no ill will or no ma- feel no malice whatsoever. In fact, it's really, I think it's really sweet and cool to see, um, you know, these NFT platforms kind of spawn and and encourage people to you know uh, to express themselves and you know and. Uh, 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 and also it's it's just really really refreshing to see people like excited about valuing and wanting to spend money on art you know that i mean that in and of itself i think is a remarkable accomplishment well one thing that i was thinking about when we were talking about circles is i was thinking about you know we talked to zora several weeks ago and of course they're dealing with some of this kind of nft stuff but i was thinking you know with some of these kind of community um more like fan like tokens like the rack token or whatever Mm. if there was some sort of uh, is it deflationary? <laughs> deflationary <laughs> mechanism in there where um, the community would be incentivized to spend those tokens faster, then that could maybe help with kind of community engagement on the artist side. I just think there's maybe some ideas from circles yeah. that could apply to some of the ideas that Zora are working on as well. Yeah, I would be very happy to see circles picked up by some sort of online community Um like if you, the way you're describing sort of a discord of people who are all sort of maybe mm-hmm. transacting within that discord can actually imagine something like that working with circles actually also, because if mm-hmm. most of the transactions are going on within that peer group, then it might not be such a concern that they can't spend in their own cities, you know, mm-hmm. um, or yeah, the, mm-hmm. I mean, the mechanisms are, are definitely implementable um, by anyone too, so. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've, I've seen in, in numerous conversations, I mean, we <clears throat> when we had the other internet people on and uh, also JMO, you know, there was a lot of excitement of this idea of, you know, squads forming or kind of ad hoc organizations or groups of people forming um, and the ability, yeah, the ability once you can kind of define some perimeter of that to transact within that universe. Um, yeah, I, I can see it being applicable. The other thing I'll say to what you said, Holly, is that actually Simon Delarubier, who we're hoping to have on the pod soon because he just released his science fiction book hmm. um, that I'm looking forward to reading and I haven't read it yet. Hello, Simon. Um, but he proposed after listening to our Zora chat um, that something like a rack token or a community token could work with seasons, hmm. um, which would add a, some kind of an incentive for people to um, to see these things as being time locked or as being kind of like time specific with the idea being that you wouldn't just hoard them. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, you know, artist releases token and then you don't just jump in and like buy up all the tokens and then stymie any ability for the artist to then use that token in interesting ways with their community because you're just hoarding it. Um, Simon has some interesting proposals on that. But I think, but but again, even these kind of like these dynamics to qualify your point, Sarah, I think like there's so much richness and, and, uh, and unexplored territory within these dynamics um, that, yeah, like, like, qualifying that specifically as an art practice to me just makes a lot of sense. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I think back I and mean, I'm like, I do this sometimes, which is perhaps grandiose, but I like, I'm like, okay, in 50 years time, who the fuck knows what things are going to look like, but what stuff are you going to look back on and think, huh, you know, like they were really onto something, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's most likely going to be probably more in that camp. Traditionally it always was like, like re- like freaks thinking about something that wasn't yet properly valued you know, than, for example, like traditional art sales or traditional, you know, record sales or something like that. Mm-hmm. Most likely it, it's going to come from this kind of experimentation. Um, and so, you know, and, and what better avenue to qualify the arts than like legitimate experimentation? Yeah, I definitely um, 
I think that um, the category of art itself is up for a big renovation. Um, oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and whether or not, um, you know, uh, these these sort of crypto projects that we're participating in are interested in end up uh, uh, getting in the new the new museum design, but um, <laughs> it'll be interesting. Simon is definitely one of the people who've been thinking about and writing about um, creative token economics for a long time. I'll be curious mm-hmm. to hear how that conversation goes. Uh, before we, we let you go, um, we have one question that we ask every guest, and you can choose to answer this however you see fit. Ooh, of course, um, like all answers. Yeah. Oh, no, all the other answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll cut everything I disagree Guys, they with. they told me what to say, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, this is the, the Maoist podcast. Um, uh, the, uh, yeah, but the, but the question we have is, uh, what does interdependence mean to you, Sarah? Hmm. Yeah, um, it's funny. What I think about when I think about interdependence is um, this question that I was writing about kind of recently, which is that um, we have this moment right now, I think, where there's a subset of the discourse that is reexamining stories about um, survival of the fittest um, and, and natural selection. And, and mm. looking instead at ways that nature is um, a collaborative process. Um, and I guess uh, uh, those things are getting framed as a dichotomy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that maybe interdependence is a third model or a third option, um, because I think that that dichotomy is a little bit unsatisfying, like nature is maybe all mm-hmm. of these things um, and mm-hmm. more. Um, and I also think that interdependence is a really great theme for circles as a project, um, because uh, uh, very, very literally, um, you're embedded within a, a network of, of connections, and without it, your token is valueless. Um, so there's a really, really literal connection there as well. Sweet. Great. Well, uh, our licensing fees are, are very uh, generous. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to be sponsored? You already got um, your mass circles. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be greedy. <laughs> No, that's a be- that's a very beautiful answer, and I think I agree with you on the on the the, the dissatisfaction of of these kind of false false binaries, right? Yeah, we need we need a we need a synthesis for our our thesis and antithesis. Well, I'm really excited what your sabbatical will will spawn, bring. Yeah. yeah, will spawn. <laughs> will bring to the world. I'm excited about your your um, art pursuits, and I'm also excited to use Circle some more. Yeah. yeah, I'm verified now. <laughs> yeah, for sure, we're verified. We can, we can, we can, we can trust people for okay. the low, low price. Of- <laughs> be careful. <laughs> because they you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm excited for these things too. I'm gonna uh, uh, go on sabbatical and I don't know, take a long bath every day and, and for the first two weeks and do nothing. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. And it's been a real pleasure getting through these things. And, um, I hope that, you know, people who listen to understand circles a, a little bit more. Um, and, um, and yeah, we'll be sure to link to the project and also to maybe some of the articles that you mentioned in yep. the episode. I've, I've already got everything that's mentioned is going to get linked. Great. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Great. Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Have a sweet, uh, sweet evening. Enjoy your sabbatical and um, hopefully see you. Yeah. See you soon. Thanks, guys.